0: What do you know about that, man?
1: <laughs> that was pretty fun.
2: <laughs> you guys want to just jump into yeah. it? Heck yeah. All right, it's I'm fine Chase. With fine with you too, Zach.
1: Thank
3: <laughs> you. Laura, we good with you? All good.
2: I'm Chase Winiger, host of the podcast, Lee McClellan, co-host. Hope everyone's doing well. The heat's starting to break and that's good. It's hot in here. <laughs> yeah, it's always kind of hot. It's going to be hotter in here today because we have two guests too. <laughs> we got Laura Burford. Laura, tell us who you are, what you do.
1: Yeah, I am a wildlife biologist. I'm the State Wildlife Action Plan Coordinator for Kentucky.
2: And that is exactly why we're here today, right? Yes. State State Wildlife Action Plan. And sitting right next to Laura here, we have Zach Couch. What do you do, Zach? I'm the Wildlife Diversity Program Coordinator. Wildlife Diversity Program Coordinator. Both of you all have been on before. It's been a while for each of you, Mm -hmm. but in a nutshell, we're here to talk about one thing today, primarily, and that is SWAP. Or the state wildlife action plan. And before we did this podcast, you know, we emailed back and forth and a meeting was suggested um, to maybe plan for it. Right. Right. Because this is a big deal. Swap is. But I kind of wanted to come in here just not knowing a whole lot about it, just kind of being like your average person walking down the street right out here. Because honestly, what do you think people's level of knowledge of swap is the state wildlife action plan?
1: You know, government agencies are so awesome at using acronyms. I'm gonna yeah. go out on a limb and think that most people hear swap and they think like swap me yeah, or something else. <laughs> So I'm thinking it's it's probably not really great. I bet a whole lot of people don't yeah. know about mm-hmm. this plan. But it but it is really important and mm-hmm. and we take it very seriously. Yeah. And so it's it's kind of exciting to talk about it. But um, in a nutshell, the state wildlife action plan is something that all state fish and wildlife agencies are mandated to do if they want to get federal funding through state and tribal wildlife grants program. Okay, yet another acronym, right?
2: But the federal funding can be pretty significant for a state agency, like the amount of of work that we can get done within the state on the resources using federal funding. I mean, that's important, right?
1: It is important. Uh, The reason that this particular funding source is important for us, though, is that is intended to be used on uh, primarily on non-game species, primarily. Um, you know, primarily on that. But the reason that the state wildlife action plan is important is because that is the document that we need to maintain and we mm-hmm. need to review every ten years. And that document is like a snapshot in time of the health of our wildlife resources. Mm-hmm. And part of the steps of that plan is to identify. Get ready, another acronym. Uh, SGCN. It stands for Species of greatest conservation need. So what we're doing when we develop this plan is we're identifying what those are. Mm-hmm. And then those species and the habitats they depend on are what get funding through that program. So it's very important. And we, we do take it seriously. It's not developed quickly, believe me. <laughs> it's developed with a lot of help and a mm-hmm. lot of partners. It's not just our agency. It's not by any means an agency plan. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's a big process, a big undertaking, but in the end, absolutely important and worth it.
2: So I kind of want to run through the, you know, the six normal things, who, what, why, when, where, how, but off the top. So I did get on our website and I did in the search bar type in state wildlife action plan. And it took me to a landing page, right? And there I could click on, basically it had animals categorized by mammal or insect or different things like that. And you can click on them and then you can see the species listed out below, right? And that's as far as I got. But like, for example, within the mammal one, I did notice two game species. There were probably 12 to 15 mammals listed. And I saw swamp rabbits and I saw black bears. But other than those two, it seemed like everything was, um, you know, something that isn't hunted, fish or trap. So majority you're saying of the species included in the state wildlife action plan are those, you know, non-game species, but some game species that need a little bit more attention than others are included, or how is that decided?
1: Well, I'm sitting here beside our mammal team expert, so he, team. Can, he can he shoot this if, if you want to go for this one. Um, but...
2: Well, how's the animal, how is it decided upon which animals are included in the state wildlife action plan?
1: One of the things that we are required to do, and uh, the the plan that's currently on our webpage is getting ready to change a little bit because we've just started, uh, we're just getting ready to talk about our revision. But we have to come up with a process that we look at each one of these animals and we decide, you know, what are their populations like how much responsibility does kentucky have for for doing the conservation for these species so we're looking at things like how common how stable are they globally how state are they low um how stable are they at a state level um are they endemic which means basically are they found only in one very very mm-hmm. small part of kentucky mm-hmm. and what are their populations doing compared to what they were doing historically so i think those are there, there there's other things that play into that but all of those are things that we consider uh, when we're looking at a species, and that's that's something that ha- that is how a game species might end up mm-hmm. on this list if we know that their populations are declining or restricted.
2: So. Just for clarification, what I looked at was the 2013, then, is what you're saying, because the 2023, it's updated every 10 years, is coming out in like a week and a half, right? Right. So it's August the 15th.
1: Right. The very first time states were required to have state wildlife action plans was in um, 2005. That was when our first one came out, and we were required to look at it and make any changes that needed to be made to that. By 2015, we got a little ahead of the game, <laughs> did mm-hmm. in 2013, and so our, our second revision essentially mm-hmm. is due now, and the revision that we just completed, it's it's been well over a three-year process. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a substantially different plan, okay. and, and and it's we're excited to unveil it, but uh, it, it, it has been a, a big undertaking.
2: And it gets unveiled when now?
1: We are going to have a public comment period on the plan on August 15th, Mm -hmm. and that will last for 30 days. So August 15th to September 15th.
2: So the plan that I looked at from 2013, I'm sure the new plan will be similar as far as how it's broken down. But I guess the reason the black bears were included there is because you said the range is limited to such a small part of the state, something like that. I mean, they're not statewide. We kind of have a core black bear range down there. So Mm -hmm. I guess in a sense, Zach, you might be able to help me out. Those areas, because they are they are kind of relying on a small geographical area, they could be considered a little bit more like at risk because it's a small area that they are relying on. Does that make sense at all?
4: Well, the, the good news with the 2023 revision uh-huh. is that black bears are no longer listed as because. a species of the greatest conservation need because as we've seen over the last decade, the yep. population is doing great. Yep. They're expanding. That has provided increased hunting opportunity for mm-hmm. the species. And we felt like... Uh, the manage- management that has been done in Kentucky over the last fifteen plus years has actually produced uh, oh, yeah. a population now that is uh, that is doing really well. Uh, there are a couple other uh, game species on the mammal list with swamp rabbits and Appalachian cottontails. Mm-hmm. Those will still be uh, considered species of greatest conservation need uh, for a couple different reasons. Swamp rabbits, as the name would imply, mm-hmm. like wetlands yeah. and Kentucky has experienced a tremendous loss in our wetland habitat mm-hmm. over the last couple hundred years, and that has obviously impacted swamp rabbit populations in the state. Uh, the other issue is disease. You know, we mm-hmm. have uh, RHD that yeah, hasn't good. been found yet in Kentucky, but yeah. as Laura said, this is a ten-year plan. Yeah, we wanted to go on and add those two species in there because they're already species that aren't considered. Uh, to be found statewide. Mm-hmm. And so they're a little bit more susceptible to uh, disease threats. We want to go in and include those in case we do get RHD in the future. We'll be able to have some funding available to to hopefully manage that population. What well, makes... is RHD? Rabbit hemorrhagic
2: disease. That's what I thought. Yeah. Started off and it's mostly in captive, out west, right? It's in right. all all rabbits out west, not every rabbit, but wild and captive rabbits. And it, I guess that they're worried about captive rabbits coming here. could. That's mainly where the concern is, right? That's correct. That was a perfect breakdown of why those animals are included. And then other animals that are included, like for instance, the uh, Virginia big-eared bat is one that I see here on 2013 that I assume is going to make it to 2023 on the list as well because it's an endangered species, right?
4: Yes. uh, So Virginia big-eared bats are federally listed as endangered. Um, Globally, the population is probably less than 20,000 individuals. Mm -hmm. Uh, Really? And in Kentucky, we have less than 4,000. That's uh, a lot
2: of the global population. The, yeah, we have,
4: and uh, we even when you get into the genetics of it, uh, the population we have in Kentucky are uh, genetically distinct, and we want to make sure to hmm. maintain that genetic diversity. It's obviously a federally protected species that we want to uh, manage and are obligated to manage. So yes, species like that will be retained
2: on the list. So in a nutshell, the species listed on the state wildlife action plan need some attention or could require mm-hmm. some attention. So we are putting them on. And we're including them in this document so that they're eligible for federal funding in the future,
1: right? Under that grant program. Mm-hmm. Yes. Make, that absolutely. Yeah, That,
2: that kind of covers the what is SWAP and why we do it, right? Yes. Yeah, and The
4: main thing to keep in mind there is we have a lot of species in this Species of Greatest Conservation Need list that mm-hmm. aren't federally protected. Mm-hmm. The reason we're including them is because we want to provide the funding to manage these populations before they need to be put onto any sort of federal list. Give me an example. Uh, of a species that's in decline that we want. Say
2: say this year on 2023, you'll see Species X and it's on the list because, you know, for that reason. It's not federally endangered, but it is one that we need to have some focus on.
4: Um, The Eastern Hellbender would be the one that Mm -hmm. pops to mind first. That's a species that has been petitioned off and on for listing. Mm -hmm a subspecies of that in the Ozarks has already been added to the endangered species list. Mm -hmm. Um, We see that the population in Kentucky is declining and we're Mm -hmm. already working on that species to try to uh, boost that population, however, we can. We yeah. want to be able to continue to do that, so that's the species that we retain on the list.
2: You guys are doing good work with the hellbenders too. Mm-hmm. That's something we've been. Just a side note, you know, that's something that we've tagged along with you with for a few times for a few projects now. We went out and collected the eggs. We went back when you released the subadults into the creek, and so that was cool. And so I can see how additional funding or funding for that species could come in handy because in-house facilities to rear the hellbenders could be nice to have, and then we can do everything in-state instead of shipping them up to Indiana. And, so, yeah, that makes perfect mm-hmm. sense.
1: Mm-hmm. And there's some other species too that have popped up, um, you know, as far as something that has been common in the past mm-hmm. but has been in steep decline. A lot of our grassland songbirds are in that category. Grassland songbirds. Grassland songbirds. So, animals like the field sparrow and the eastern really? meadowlark, um, their populations are declining substantially enough that they have met the criteria to be a species of greatest conservation need. So if you were looking, Chase, at our our plan that was revised in 2013, you probably saw that we had on that version of it, 301 species of greatest conservation need the last time we did this. Mm -hmm. Um, During this year's revision, we have come up with 527 species. And part of the reason that that number has increased is because we were able to extend um, our our selection to include a couple groups that we hadn't in the past, mm-hmm. and we have included this time selected. Um, insects or invertebrates, and also a selected group of plants for the first time too. And that's something that we have relied heavily on partnering with the Office of Kentucky Nature Preserves and some specialists at Kentucky uh, universities and colleges to help us in coming up with those criteria. But with all of the attention that is happening across the nation, with especially, I'll just use pollinators as an example, Mm -hmm. um, we know that their populations are struggling for some of these species that we have information about. So for for this particular plan, our number has increased.
2: Oh yeah, well, I mean, that makes sense. If, If you, I mean, the way you post it makes perfect sense. And so when you say insects, I think I heard Michaela Rogers mention during the, Kentucky Wild Q&A show that we just did this past Monday, that monarchs had been added mm-hmm. as, a, as a species to, to this list, I'm assuming is what she was talking yeah, about? Yes, you're correct. Yep. Yeah, and she talked briefly about you know a 20% decline and you know, the, the count and that they do in Mexico I've seen year. more this year than I have in a while.
1: That's good. Their numbers really do fluctuate, but overall it's been a fluctuation with a downward trend.
0: How many, just something I'm curious, uh, raffinesques, big or bad? How many do we have in Kentucky? Is that super, super rare or um, more rare than Virginia or there, more of them than Virginia?
4: There's definitely more Raffinus big-eared bats than there are Virginia big-eared okay. bats. Um, I don't have those numbers mm-hmm. memorized, unfortunately, but that, that's a species that not only is found in the eastern part of the state like Virginia big-eared bats are, but there's also a small population around Mammoth Cave. Mm-hmm. And then it, we can also find uh, populations of that species all the way down in the swamps of Western Kentucky. Where oh, the, wow. Yeah. It's, it's a really interesting species in the in the eastern part well, of the Rafinesque state. Well, Raffinesque
0: is fascinating. Uh, yeah, very much <laughs> so. so. It was Rafinesque. He was one of the early naturalists here in Kentucky, and he was a faculty member at Transylvania. Yeah. Okay. And so. a guy by the name of uh, John Jeremiah Sullivan wrote an excellent essay on his life in a book called Pulpit. I've read it twice. It's fascinating. Yeah. But he was. Really eccentric guy, but brilliant, <laughs> but just, I mean, so
4: fascinating. One, uh, one of the species of bat that we had in our 2013 plan that we removed this year is called the evening bat. Uh, that's a species that was discovered by Raffinesque around Henderson, Kentucky, actually in the attic of Audubon's house. Yes, yeah. and, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the The story goes that he lived up or lived for a certain amount of time in the attic of Audubon's house while he was going along, being a naturalist in Kentucky mm-hmm. in the 1800s. He saw a bat in the attic one night, uh, Raffinesca was also quite the violin player. And the story goes that Audubon hears this ruckus upstairs, goes up to see Audubon swinging his violin frantically in the dark, trying to smack one of these bats out of the air. and so start, he can have turns, a fair <laughs> collection yeah. Turns out to be a new species that he ends up identifying and uh, <laughs> describing.
0: Well, if, you, if you look like a, say the Kentucky, you know, fish book or freshwater, I mean, it's amazing how many you know, Raffinesque, you know, 18, you know, 21 or whatever, you know, Raffinesque, Raffinesque, Raffinesque. Yeah. I mean, he discovered so many species. Zach here discovered a species. not nah, I've got one.
2: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> pretty good. It's more yeah, than me, Zach. <laughs> more than me, me too. More than me? Yeah, say, that's pretty dang good. Um, so, how do we do swap? Like, I mean, how does it start? From obviously, we have a plan that we're working off now, we're revising, right? So, when we go through to revise that, how do we, how do we do it? How do we decide? this, this, that. How do we collect the data?
1: Well, you take a deep breath. <laughs>
2: deep breath. Starts with a deep breath. Yeah, and, then,
1: and then you figure out who's going to help you with it. OK. Um, no, I'll I, tease in aside the, the plant, when it first came out in 2005, honestly, there was not a lot of guidance given. And so mm-hmm. states just poured everything they had in this and tried to include so much information. And the plans were gigantic. Yep. And US Fish and Wildlife Service over time has refined um, the way they want those plans to look. And so right. we have a, we have a best practices. We kind of know this is kind of what we want to do. And part of that is to make the process similar, but uh, simpler, but part of it is also to make it comparable with other states because obviously wildlife are not recognizing boundaries to right. states. And, you know, anytime that we can identify areas that we want to work in where we can collaborate with other states or we can collaborate with other agencies, that, that makes far more sense. But there's, there's basically eight parts to the plan right. and the way that most states are handling this is that they look at the current plan they have mm-hmm. and usually the first step is deciding on what those species are that's the big thing mm-hmm. and then once you can determine a process that will help you narrow down what those species are you look at what the habitats are that those species are dependent upon and then you're kind of taking a look at well what are those habitats look like in our state do mm-hmm. we have a lot of preferred habitat or are we like whoa we got nothing you know mm-hmm. what, what do we have so there's there's a step where we we go through that portion um the other things that we're encouraged to do is to identify what are the major threats that are facing these particular SGCN in your state? What, what is that? Is that um, habitat that has, is disappearing or is it just changing or is it a disease threat? What is it? You know, And we, we have to take a, a hard look at that. And probably the most important part of it though, because these are state wildlife action plans after all, is to identify, well, what specifically needs to be done mm-hmm. to move the needle to actually make a difference? And those actions could be anywhere from site protection. Mm-hmm. Like, are we protecting nesting areas for lease turns? Mm-hmm. Are we gating caves for endangered bats? What mm-hmm. are we doing? Are we protecting that? Are we buying land? You know, mm-hmm. is it land acquisition? When I say we, I don't just mean Kentucky Fish and Wildlife. I mean, any of our partners, in this state plan, whether that's a land trust or whether that you know, is another state or federal agency, you know whether that's private landowners agreeing that you know, they're not going to sell certain portions of their land if they, if they have uh, different species on it. Um, so these actions are really, really important and we need to be able to identify what would work for a single species and then we can start kind of looking back a little bit and say, well, are there suites of species that we can benefit if we protect this watershed how does that impact the freshwater mussels mm-hmm. and the plants and the craw- crayfish and, and fishes that yeah. live there? So it, it sounds huge, it kind of is huge, <laughs> but those are the main, the main elements to it that we, we need to look at.
2: So, so what I picked up there were identify the species, <clears throat> identify <laughs> habitats or threats, whatever it is, to those species, and then kind of detail out what action can be taken to help protect or enhance those species.
1: Right. And there, there is definitely an element um, to the species and to the actions where we need to prioritize what we would do, mm-hmm. because we have a giant plan with a lot of actions, mm-hmm. but not a whole lot of money behind the plan mm-hmm. as of yet. And, you know, maybe we can talk a little bit later about Recovering America's Wildlife Act, but um, This plan is only funded in part, and so to be good stewards of what we have, we have to decide which actions are going to make the biggest difference. In the yep. shortest amount yep. of time we, right. we absolutely have to do that and so there's an element in our plan that uh has not been brought out as much in the previous versions that kind of show what are the things that we could do now to have the biggest impact mm-hmm. and then what are the things that we could do later if more funding was available yeah. but um, we've joked about our plan being a menu <laughs>
3: mm-hmm.
1: we have so many things in it uh, probably the exciting part about it is is that we know we have other state partners Um, in Kentucky that are doing great things for habitat or they're doing great things for wildlife. Um, If we are in a position to have this plan out there in hopes that other people will use it to go after grant money Mm -hmm. to do things, we know that's happened in the past. We know it can happen in the future. So
2: like a private landowner or something like that or a a conservation organization Mm -hmm. aside from us could could take this plan and how would they use it for that?
1: A lot of times when they're applying for grants, it will say, well, depending on what you're trying to do, Mm -hmm. um, is this a species that is in your state's state wildlife action plan? Is it a high priority species in your state's plan? And what would you do? What What actions would you implement that would allow them to get score a little bit higher on their grant application? So
2: for instance, let's just say the Nature Conservancy owns some land down there along Pine Mountain in Harlan County and there happens to be um, you know, two or three species listed in the state wildlife action plan that reside on that property. They could then take a state wildlife action plan, talk about how they're going to protect perhaps some habitat or enhance some habitat for those species, and then that would help them with their grants that they might need to purchase or maintain property, right? Yeah, that's it. That's
1: exactly right. And and that's
2: something we wanted to be uh, really
4: aware of as we moved through this is Uh Again, as Laura said, this is not an agency plan. It's the state wildlife action plan. We have partners outside of the agency that are doing the same work that we're doing, mm-hmm. um, often by accessing different funds that we have available to us. We want to be able to capture as much of that funding and get it on the ground to help species greatest conservation need whenever possible.
2: So this isn't just for us.
4: This is no. certainly not just for us. Mm-hmm. This, this is it. this is a plan, and and we've really been intentional about not only the process of how we have structured this plan, but standardizing the language across all these different taxonomic groups, all the threats, all the actions to where if you nobody picks this plan up and says, "Okay, page one of 1600 and Mm -hmm. just starts reading. Yeah. What you're going to do is you're going to start trying to pull out the bits and pieces that you need. Mm -hmm. And we want to make sure that when people do that, whether it's a land manager in Callaway County, Mm-hmm. we want him to be able to, or her, to pull out the information that they need to manage land in Callaway County. Mm-hmm. Or if it's a, a researcher that is interested in prescribed fire, we want that person to be able to pull out information on what species benefit from getting prescribed fire on the ground. Because they could potentially... Exactly, so yeah, so actually. now if there's a prescribed fire grant somewhere, they can say, hey, we're we're doing this work and it will benefit these species that have been identified in the plant. So we've really been intentional about laying the, things out in a way to where no matter what angle you approach this plan from, you can rapidly, hopefully, pull out the data that you need in order to get these actions I on the ground. See this mm-hmm. being very
2: beneficial for mm-hmm. people with prescribed, prescribed burn, you know, intentions. Because I mean, you could probably roll off so many species that have prescribed fire would help. I'm thinking insects, and I'm thinking the songbirds that you were talking about, Laura. Mm-hmm. I mean, because you're basically just resetting it to natural at that point, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. you could you could go a long way with that. Yeah. And But prescribed fires and, and, you know, controlled burns are becoming more and more popular, I think, mm-hmm. even amongst private landowners. No owners. chemicals. That's wonderful. Mm-hmm. Not mm-hmm. just that, but it just works better. Yeah. Did you see, like, I mean, there's an archery range being built right here, 100 yards away right now. There's an archery range that they're building. And this spring, they did a prescribed burn on that mm-hmm. field. And, of course, it looked black and it looked pretty rough for about three or four days. And then it had rained and all of a sudden you started seeing shoots come up and it didn't take two weeks before it was just as lush and green mm-hmm. as you could ever imagine. So, I mean, it's it's surprising. And there's some people on social media who do prescribed burns down. They do really good, quick, like one minute demonstrations that kind of show a time-lapse of what the area looked like before. And I mean, it, it, they sold me on it. i are using
0: it on wheat fields for, for the dove program, mm-hmm. you know, for public dove fields. Yeah. Because if you cut it, it'll germinate. But if you burn it, it won't. And it's available to the doves, so. Um, I, I, years ago, I hunted the uh, public field over by Kentucky 248 bridge on Taylorsville, WMA. And a uh, guy we used to call Billy Bob, he, uh, he was manager then and he did a power there and we had a fantastic shoot. So there's, you know, um, it, it's amazing, no chemicals and it works.
4: That's the most rapid and cost effective way to manage grasslands. And uh, I spoke earlier about our wetlands in Kentucky and our lack of wetlands. Mm-hmm. When you look in, we've got some of this data in the plan comparing what Kentucky looked like in the 1700s versus modern day. And we have lost a tremendous amount of our grassland habitat, mm-hmm. which means we've lost a tremendous amount of habitat for a lot of the birds that Laura mentioned, a lot of our herpetofauna with reptiles and uh, that- small, small mammals, we have a, huge amount of species in this plan that are dependent upon these grassland habitats. And that's the best way that we know of right now to manage those. Is
0: habitat loss the driver of the, the declines and like the meadowlarks and everything you're talking about? Is is that?
1: Some of it's loss and some of it's just a change in structure. I mean, part of that too is that, you know, oftentimes it's the early successional habitat that's going away because people want mm-hmm. to either forest... Well, well, Or grassland, you know, and it's that middle scrubby shrub area that's also really, really important. Everybody
0: wants their stuff clean and pretty, right? right.
1: But you know, to the point about that, just the loss of 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 quality habitat. When they did the study on these different bird groups and which ones were declining most rapidly, the ones that are in the best shape are the waterfowl, and the ones Mm -hmm. that are in the worst shape are the grassland songbirds. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that is relevant to the fact that so much has been done with Ducks Unlimited and Mm -hmm. other groups specifically to manage for waterfowl habitat. Mm Done we show job. it works i mean that 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 model works and, and we have so... 17
0: major reservoirs that 200 years ago yeah. weren't here yeah you know one of the things when we used to go to camp curry they had a picture of kentucky lake and then they had a picture do you remember that of Isn't the Cumberland river and all these wonderful oxbows like honker lake honker lake was a big oxbow of of the lower cumberland river and just all that wonderful habitat that's now under you know
4: that's that's 20 one of the feet of water if you had to If you ask me what my favorite page of the State Wildlife Action Plan is, we have done a tremendous amount of modeling with our GIS folks here Mm -hmm. internally and then some partners. And one of the things we looked at was impacts to aquatic systems, um, mainly streams and rivers in Mm -hmm. Kentucky. And one of the, the two sets of maps that we produced was, okay, if you take every dam, every poorly designed culvert out of the state, how long does it take water to travel on the surface from the headwaters of Kentucky up around Pine Mountain all the way to the Mississippi. Mm -hmm. And you model that, and if you take out all the dams, then you're setting at about 30 days for Mm -hmm. water in a headwater stream to make it to the Mississippi. That's ridiculous. Then you, you do the same analysis, but including all the dams and the retention time of those And now it goes from a maximum of 30 days to a maximum of somewhere between 5,000 and 9,000 days. Wow. And so you you start seeing, to your point, the disconnect in some of the aquatic systems that we have. But on the positive side, we're also able to look at this map and say, hey, you know what? The rolling fork of the salt, Mm -hmm. it's not really being impacted by dams. That's an intact Mm -hmm. system. And... I was talking to monty mcgregor earlier today they went into the rolling fork earlier this week and found 27 species of muscle yeah, he
0: told me it's surprisingly that, rich
4: that's an area that we can go into and we can do some some management work and some low-hanging fruit essentially to boost that population and we're not trying to fight a a system that has been so impacted that we'll never recover it that's Mm -hmm. very cool Mm -hmm. i would love to see that map
1: because
2: that that sounds fascinating
1: it really is i mean we were we were thrilled that one of our partners in that project is the nature conservancy Mm -hmm. and um um that yeah that that map i think we were all pretty excited about that so that's in the Chaplin
0: river where i grew up Mm -hmm. swimming you know i'm from bardstown we used to have a no rope swing. And there was a place that there was a little island. I remember my sister cut the fire out of her foot on a muscle shell. It, oh. She didn't wear shoes, Cut <laughs> her foot out. <laughs> but it was full of live muscles. Mm-hmm. You know, we would reach. I didn't know I was a kid and like the, All a lot of them be dead. And you're like, hey, that's got gooey stuff in it. And it's heavy. And it's yeah. Live, big, gigantic, probably, uh, you know, uh, what's the real common one that are huge? My mine, it's a washboard. A bucket, yeah,
2: yeah, mm-hmm. Like I mean, they were a couple of them were huge. She mm-hmm. split her foot on a on a pink hill splitter. Yeah, I Yeah, but yeah, she, I mean,
3: <laughs>
0: she was like, she came up and her I mean, we had to take her <laughs> and get stitches and cut the fire
2: out. I would just love to see the what Kentucky used to look like, you know, before we messed it all up. I'd love to float Dix River, Dick's?
0: blow up Harrington Dam. Go back to, like, go back to like 1890 and float Dixie River. Yeah. But with my modern fishing equipment, of course, and of modern
3: kayak.
2: Of course, yeah. How about instead of blowing it up, we just snap our fingers and make it disappear? Yeah, that, that'd you know, be. Sounds yeah. like, you know, I'd say Homeland Security won't mind yeah, that's probably, yeah. saying that quite yeah. as much. Right. So, I mean, one reason I would think I would like to see the this stuff from the old days is just to kind of like like Cumberland, for instance, holds its water for something like three years right like the turnaround time so how long would it have taken that water coming over the falls and entering the lake to actually make it all the way through to the mississippi you know it's not three years because i'm assuming that would have been like a one day run mm-hmm. making it through that 27 miles or however far lake cumberland is you probably know how long lake cumberland is.
0: i think yeah kentucky lakes 101 isn't it uh, i think right. uh, yeah mm-hmm. i think it's might be up around in that i mean if you count all of it yeah
2: but that is an swap. extreme example too i think that's the one that takes the longest out of everything kentucky like they said takes three days but still yeah and that's why it's really efficient because <laughs> it exchanges the water so much. so what other good resources are in swap like i mean for like i don't know if you guys when you go through it i'm sure you're so focused on you know what it really is uh you know the meat and potatoes of it but i think something like that map would be really cool for myself or lee or mm-hmm. any individual be who, yeah who likes to kayak or mm-hmm. or float or fish just to check out is there any other like little bits of cool information or pieces oh, of there's, oh,
4: there's there's all a kinds. huge amount of <laughs> good information um if you really want to dig deep into this plan and i mm-hmm. would suggest anybody has time and has an interest in this stuff to do so we have uh, as laura mentioned We've identified over 2,000 conservation actions mm-hmm. in this plan. The, these are these are things that need to be done mm-hmm. that can benefit native species in Kentucky. Mm-hmm. If you are a landowner, for example, you can pull this plan up. You can rapidly flip through it, see. Okay, I live in this part of this county. These are some of the species that I that I have may have on my property on my farm. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got an old uh, tobacco field that I'm trying to figure out what I want to do with it. Maybe I want to convert it over to native warm season grasses. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you can start to tease out from there what species of songbird or small mammals you would expect to have some sort of benefit mm-hmm. to their population by doing this work. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Some people are really interested in birds. Some people are really interested in snakes. You can mm-hmm. go straight to the the snake section and see what uh, what rare animals we have in kentucky what their needs are and try to figure out how to put some of those in place
2: and then you can also get funding to help you do it potentially potentially yeah, uh, yeah. you know
4: we, what we hope is that people will use this like Laura said as a, a menu of, of items to choose from and mm-hmm. as they see funding opportunities there's a tremendous amount of farm bill mm-hmm. funding a lot of that farm bill funding mentioned species of greatest conservation need as a, a reason to put these practices on the ground. Talk to your private lands biologists, see what, see what they think would work on your land and implement this plan for us.
1: So one thing you can do is if you go to the plan and, and folks will be able to look at it. Chapter three is our is our chapter that's devoted to species of greatest conservation need and we realized it's a giant plan. Yeah.
3: Mm-hmm. But
1: one of the things that we did for each one of those species of greatest conservation need, we've created a profile sheet that's kind of like the cheat sheet yeah. for yeah. everything else in the plan. So you can kind of start with that. Yeah. And on that sheet, you'll see a photograph of the animal. You'll see a conservation goal that we have for that animal or plant over the next 10 years. Um, it'll have habitat associations. It'll have the major threats that we have been identified for that creature. Um, and then it will have the actions we've identified and we've even linked it to if we can do this action, it'll help mitigate this threat. And then like the very last part of it also has these other needs that might be for this animal. They might be a survey need, they might be a research need, they might be a management need. Mm. Um, Out of the 527 uh, species of greatest conservation need we have, I think it's 127 or 129 of them are grouped as data deficient. And that sounds crazy. It's like, wait, how can you call it data? How can you call it's a need and have it be data deficient? Several of these species are ones that we need to have, we suspect they are SGCN. we suspect they are in trouble, but we can't get enough data to say with certainty. And so this is kind of a a shout out to our colleges and universities out there that if there are research projects that can be done to help us fill in these data gaps, Mm -hmm. that's really important. Um, And we know identifying that works, because in our first state wildlife action plan, we knew very little about barn owls, Mm -hmm. very little about barn owls.
0: I was just thinking of barn owls.
1: Yeah. Well, there we go. Great minds. Um, Mm -hmm. So we had put that in the plan and a a major need for that was, hey, we we really have to find out. We we can't say they're in trouble, but we really need to know. And so Mm -hmm. now, Long story short, out of that plan, we have been able to devote quite a bit of resources to that. Mm-hmm. We have done everything from contaminants testing to putting up nest boxes on public and private lands. Mm-hmm. Now we have instituted a triennial survey. We were do a very intensive barn owl survey so long. So we know, mm-hmm. barn owls are still on our list as a species of greatest conservation need, but we know so much more about them. We've yes. been able to fine tune that. And that's one way, this, this plan is successful. We know it works, You know, we, we do know that it does. Um, And so by honing in on exactly what needs to be done as we have funding, we can direct people and other organizations, other partners to do that work. Um, But I do encourage folks, if you you go on to look at the plan and you wanna start at chapter three, maybe you don't have a a Mm -hmm. whole lot of time to look at it. Those those profile sheets are, are very informative and then you can dig as deep as you want. And we encourage people, take as deep as you want in the plan to find out more information. And but
0: really, this kinda... is one of the avenues, you know, for people, you know, especially in academics, I this mm-hmm. is one of the avenues to know this, mm-hmm. you know, quickly know what's I mean. Sometimes it's like just such a huge morass. You're like, well, what can I do? And then this gives you.
2: Mm-hmm. So, and I would
0: say
4: it goes well beyond academia yeah. uh, mm-hmm. as far as, you know, people have seen the rise of citizen science yeah. Yeah. now over the recent mm-hmm. years with iNaturalist and Merlin bird. bird apps and all these well, different you know, we The Merlin Bird app
3: Apps. Mm-hmm. We
4: often collect that data. A lot of our Hellbender records come from fisherman reports because mm-hmm. we put that My buddy caught one at, licking River and
0: turned it.
3: But
2: that's your ninety five percent are mud puppies, though right. Yep. Uh, no, people are pretty you really? good. Yeah, people we are, get them. The, the, we're, the, we're, they'll we, send us a picture. If we post a hellbender segment mm-hmm. on our Facebook page, we'll get at least five mud puppies in the comments. Yeah, people, I've caught those before. I caught them on Night Crawlers on the Box.
0: Yeah. Well, they say uh, when when they're doing that uh, sturgeon sampling uh-huh. with the with the, the trot lines that they catch like five mud puppies per yeah. That. They're all they're stuck on it all the time.
4: But uh, another uh, opportunity that just citizens have to contribute to this plan is through trail cameras. How many mm-hmm. millions of camera nights are spent in Kentucky now? Mm-hmm. And you get a lot of white-tailed deer and, oh, yeah. and turkeys and raccoons, but we started doing surveys for spotted skunks and you'll catch a occasional long-tailed weasel or a, mm. a American badger. We've had a few sightings of those things. Oh wow, Kentucky. <laughs> badgers? Yeah. Where are um, they at? No. <laughs> uh, West Kentucky. West Kentucky. Uh, if you draw a sort of a rough triangle between Owensboro, and Bowen Green, up to Breckenridge County. Badgers. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, that, that, I always
0: associate for much further north. For yeah. That, cool.
4: They will occasionally get in, in here. But those are species that we have in our plan. We don't have a lot of data on those. Mm-hmm. And you can run trail cameras 365 days a year. Uh, for spotted skunks, you can take a can of sardines and tack it up to a tree open it up to get a little bit of the like oil coming out. Catch mm-hmm. me on your trail camera. Yeah. Oh, There you go. You I might catch some, Chase yeah. on there, but you can, get, <laughs> uh, you can get not just possums or raccoons, but if you're in the right part of the state, you can get spotted skunks off of those, uh,
2: yeah. white-tailed mice come yeah. into or white-footed No. Yeah, uh, yeah, you,
4: know, you never know. <laughs> we, we may add that yeah. to the list next time we are it if you get one on trail camera.
2: Yep. That, no, that makes perfect sense. So one, the, really, I have three things right now that are on my mind, and I'm going to forget something if we don't jump into One thing I wanted to do was just give me an example of a species, kind of work me through the process. And I think you already started that, Laura, with barn owls, right? You talked about in 2005, you knew that there was some concern for them, but we didn't have the data we needed, right? So mm-hmm. we went ahead and included them here and then we had the data, was it um, deficient? Right. We, kind of-
1: we did not have data efficient species on the last version of our plan,
2: Yeah.
1: Um, but we have this go around. Um, but if we are talking specifically about barn owls, we didn't really know how many we had. And we we were specifically looking for nesting sites okay. and that's what we were looking for. And, you know, Zach mentioned how important it is to try to um, involve folks in Kentucky that might be landowners that might think, yeah, I got those in my barn. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm pretty sure I have those in my barn. So we set that up. That's how we were able to fill a lot of these data gaps. So it's getting the information. Yes, getting that information. And it really is neat now, the amount of information we can get from whether it be trail cameras or we have a lot of folks that just enjoy herpetology. I mean, I know our, our herpetologist, John has, is forever looking for, will Hmm. you please send me a picture and let me know what this is. more than just that. Well, he does. But I mean, (laughs) if we can get it photo documented with a GPS, we're all kinds of good. But we, we had somebody just a month ago who on the job took a picture. I can't remember the species of salamander it was now but said, I think I saw this in your state wildlife action plan. Yeah, you did. That's, cool. <laughs> That's pretty neat because you know we, we're a, a small staffed agency, really, really yeah. if you look at it and we don't, we can't be everywhere at all times. And so if we know folks are aware of the fact that these are the species we're looking at and we mm-hmm. can get information, it, it builds our information system. And then next time when we're looking at this in 10 years, if we have more data, wouldn't it be great if we could say, yeah, no, they're not data deficient. Yeah. And maybe mm-hmm. they don't even need to be on our list. That would yeah. be great, great. that Just would be the best.
2: Two things real quick. When I said that about John a second ago and saying that's not all he wants. Sometimes, so you know, every Monday morning I send out an email to all staff that includes a link to the most recent episode of mm-hmm. Podcast listeners probably don't know that, but <clears throat> John will respond to my weekly <laughs> link, right? And if we were frog gigging, he'll give me detailed. He'll say, I heard these species of frogs um, in, in the video. Can you tell me which county and which state this was shot in? I want to add those species to my report for that county. <laughs> or the most recent one was a rabbit hunt. We went on in eastern Kentucky, and um, he wanted the skulls from the rabbits. It was a because <laughs> he wanted to be able to. He wanted well, the Easter wasn't cocktails. snark because I've gotten a few of those myself from things I've written. <laughs> no, but I, I think it's great that John is. You know, he wants the data. Yeah. You know, and he's on top of it, yes. and enough I mean, to the is, point where is. he will. He will. He tries to get in ways that. You know, no knock anybody else, but he he's really digging for mm-hmm. it. You know, and mm-hmm. I, I respect that about John. I like that he pays attention to the show too, Isn't to it? the yes. point that he is identifying frogs in the background behind <laughs> the music. sound. Th- yep. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's good. Um, and then the other thing. So the barn owl. What I was kind of thinking with that was because during our Kentucky Wild Q and A show this past Monday, I heard Kate Slankard, mm-hmm. avian biologist, talk about the barn owls <clears throat> and the numbers of nesting pairs and the numbers of just barn owls that we have without a nest, but we know of them have just been going up, 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 up. Good. And I know for years now, we've been doing the uh, the barn owl nest boxes and we and Kate's been saying, hey, if you see an owl like this on your property or in a barn somewhere, let me know about it. And I, I've reported a barn owl pair to Kate before um, and I, she wanted the barn it was in on the WMA because it was public land barn owl. But I was wondering if, if all that success we've seen with the barn owl numbers, for instance, was able to be tied back to that 2005 State Wildlife Action Plan or 2013 State Wildlife Action Plan. Is there some of those results kind of come from things that happened back in the day or related to the State Wildlife Action Plan at all?
1: I think that's what put it on the map for us. I mean, as far as trying to fill those gaps for it. Um, It's really hard to make a determination on a species if you don't have the basic numbers. And for an animal like the barn owl, that's usually not something you're picking up on a breeding bird survey count or yeah. something mm-hmm. where you have to be really more intentional about going out and looking for those. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, I think that it's still on our list right now, I think, and I, I would, wouldn't want to speak out of turn, but the, the bird team determined that they still needed to be on here. And yeah. I suspect it is because um, there's still some unknowns with with <coughs> contaminants. I mean, obviously for a species that's associated in a agricultural settings where there could be a lot of pesticides mm-hmm. used and you're a, you're a top level predator. There could be some mm-hmm. concerns, but yeah. there's still things we don't know about barn owls. But hopefully, um, as we do fill in more and more about that, and they stabilize, and they stabilize not just in Kentucky, but also range-wide for mm-hmm. that species, they won't be on there anymore. And we does, can focus our attentions on another species.
2: Does the State Wildlife Action Plan list the fact that they look creepy and sound scary? <laughs> no.
1: because I mean,
2: they do. <laughs> Those barn owls with that big, like, dinner oh, plate they're face. awesome. I yeah, think they're really cool. cool, too. They're I think all cool. owls. I mean, the owls are maybe one of my favorites. <laughs> I think they're my favorite. Maybe, I don't know if I want to say they're my favorite predator or if they're my favorite bird, you know, but they're probably one of the two. They're probably my favorite predator. I think they're super. Just because of how they are so stealthy and they're, you know, I think the fact that their ears are offset, like, so they can pinpoint noises. I I just want to know how they evolved like that. You know, (laughs) how do you evolve to have offset ears so you can hear something through the snow? It doesn't. Yeah, it's amazing. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, some of the evolutionary stuff, I just don't understand how that ever happened, you know. Horse farm owners consider a barn owl to be excellent luck. If you have a barn owl
0: in, in your barn uh, that that's considered a good luck charm. We need to spread the
2: word.
1: Yeah. Well, barn owls are kind of neat anyway, just as owls go, because they're they're in a among the owls are in a different family, but they kind of a different reproductive strategy. Like most owls are reproducing one time a year, high parental care, they might only have, you know, two or three chicks and devote all that attention to them. Things like great horned owls, Mm -hmm. screech owls, they do that. Barn owls are could potentially, in Kentucky, be reproducing year-round, mm-hmm. and their clutch sizes are much bigger. They're mm-hmm. not as long-lived of an owl, but their approach is just like, get as many of them out there as quickly as the you can and see how it's what and sticks. Mice and squirrels and so, But there's still a lot we don't know. I mean, we have plenty of habitat for barn owls, and we're not overrun with them. So something, else is, something yeah. else is going on. Something else is going on. So that's
2: on. why you're thinking about the contaminants. Yep. Yeah. Is because it's you're saying we got plenty of habitat. We do. And honestly, I mean, <clears throat> a lot of the you know, disturbance of the natural habitat that we've done done to the landscape would almost probably benefit barn owls in a mm-hmm. way because they're, they're predators and gosh, it has to be a lot easier to catch a mouse in a grain field now mm-hmm. than it was back in the day in the woods, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I, that's just me thinking, I'm not the expert mm-hmm. like you all are, but it doesn't seem like Great horned owls are doing well, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Several of our owls are doing well, but for some reason. Screech
0: owls, they're doing okay. They're
1: doing well. They're not on the list. I
0: used to hear them all the time growing up. We had them by our house and sit out in the evening and hear them right before dusk and they're
1: cool. Yeah, I'm pretty excited. I've I've heard
0: them on Elkhorn. a million
1: times. We put up a nest box for Kestrel and it it didn't work, so we uh, put it in the woods. We got Screech House this screech house. year. That's mm-hmm. pretty exciting. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. I was pretty happy.
2: Yeah. <laughs> on your, like, property? Or? On our
1: property, That's yeah. Nice. We sure did.
2: Doing a little Citizen Science there, yeah, too. Yeah,
1: it was. That's it pretty good.
2: So we were talking <laughs> about Citizen Science a second ago, and I've got ai just, I got to tell you what my kitchen looks like right now, because Kristen, my fiance, she's very into... And so, I mean, honestly, you guys would get along great. You guys would love Kristen so much. But right now, we have a cecropius in three containers, and we have a hickory horn devil in one container. <laughs> there, where she, and every night it's like, okay, I'm going to need um uh, walnut leaves, and you're going to need to go get me box elder leaves. Mm-hmm. And here before long, we'll be adding milkweed to the, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So we have some citizen science going on in our kitchen. Now, I'm not allowed to, like, leave <laughs> something on the table, but she can have 10 Tupperware containers <laughs> this tall.
0: Bye-bye.
2: Yeah, but it, it is cool, you know, and that's not something I'd probably encourage anybody just to go do. But, you know, what she basically does is we'll find a moth um, and then breed it so we can put it in, like, a little thing in our backyard, and it'll, the female will just call males in, and then it'll lay eggs all over the place. So then she basically does what, like, we essentially do with the hellbenders and stuff, takes those eggs, hatches them, feeds them until they get to larger, larger size, starts letting them go in the wild and, you know, mm-hmm. keeps a manageable number. And then eventually she releases, I would say, 99% of the oh. eggs as uh, you know, grown caterpillars back into the, the wild. So I got a feeling that she's only helping their numbers,
1: right? <laughs> Absolutely. But cool. It, it's there's,
2: cool to watch.
1: There's gorgeous mods Well, in, the, I in, think the scropia and the
2: Polythemus mm-hmm. and the Hickory Horn Devil are three pretty cool ones. They're big.
1: Yeah,
2: <laughs> like the hickory. Luna moths are super cool. Luna Luna moths are cool.
1: When I was doing my master's work, I w- did that on the Virginia big-eared bats, which are moth specialists, and we did a lot of moth trapping. And I remember by the end of the summer, I was excited about the mo- as excited about the moths, I think, as I was about hmm. the bats. Yeah, pretty cool. I'm always waiting.
2: Sometimes she'll let one of her, because she lets the moths go, you know? Sure. Sometimes she'll let them go at dusk. And I've always wanted that moment, you know, just probably not the best thing to say I wish for, but I've always wanted that moment where she lets it go in the batches.
3: just <laughs> <laughs> <and> Immediately.
2: <laughs> you know? It's like, because we've all seen the video of the people who put the, squ- the squirrel on the tree and the cat comes by and grabs yeah. it. And, yeah. Like, but I've just, I think it'd be hilarious in person. But but they probably shouldn't laugh at that. But anyway that that was my citizen science that's what we're doing right now all i'm doing is collecting leaves and making sure they're from the right trees and taking them to her and that's my job but um so august 15th is the date right
1: that's when we will have it available on the website and
2: i've heard that it's going to be much 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 easier to navigate and to to find
1: what you're looking for this year we're hoping so i mean that was one of our our goals of this revision and and you know our plans in the past have been wonderful. They've been yeah. complete. They have been exactly what they needed to be for right. for, for to be uh, uh, approved by U.S. Fish and Wildlife. We've done some great things, but over time, I mean, we're, we're going on, these things haven't been around for almost 20 years. Yeah. And so we've been able to fine tune. Our resources are very different. <laughs> you know, when we were making maps mm-hmm. in 2005, we have a different way to make maps now. Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. We have tried really hard to come up with a product that we think that, um, that folks will be able to use, that will be interesting, where they can use it and get more information if they need to. Um, and yeah, we're looking forward to, to getting it out there.
2: So earlier we said that this plan wasn't just for us, it's mm-hmm. for other people to use, organizations, individuals. Can organizations or
1: individuals
2: contribute to the plan?
1: Well, they already have kind of contributed to the plan. I mean, when we structure our technical teams at the very beginning, it's not just Kentucky Fish and Wildlife biologists that are on those teams. Oh, you mentioned universities earlier. From academia, we have folks from environmental consulting firms, from other agencies, uh, state and federal agencies. Um, We really tried to to do that because we need outside perspectives. You know, we, we definitely need to have that. And then... As part of the process, we've, um, the the teams have also reached out to different reviewers, you know, to do internal reviews of this before this has gone out. Um, We've been very intentional about talking with partners in the state about activities that they're already doing, activities that we could do if there was more funding. Um, So... Some folks have already seen the plan, you know, in different iterations. I don't know if they've seen it all put together. Mm -hmm. Um, But, yeah, we we have received some feedback already, and now we're just trying to put it out there one more time and and, uh, see if anybody else has uh, an interest in using it. We hope they do. So
2: what's the the next step here? So the plan, I mean, I'm sure that if it's being put out publicly in a week and a half, that it's pretty developed right? Mm -hmm. Like we aren't Mm -hmm. still writing it um so so at this point like what comes next it's written it's going to come out i mean how's that look what's the process like from here
1: well we will have it on our website um, and then we will turn it into the u.s fish and wildlife service the great thing is is when we turn that into u.s fish and wildlife we're operating as this is the plan and then if they have any more information they need from us we can add to if we need to But that will allow us to continue to get federal funding through the state and tribal wildlife grants program, which Mm -hmm. is very important. We don't want our funding to lapse with that at all. And we're probably most excited about the fact that we have been very intentional in writing this plan to put enough actions and partnerships and things in there. Um, We would love to see our plan fully funded, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, nationwide. When the state and tribal wildlife grants program was created, the idea was to fully fund these action plans. Mm-hmm. You know, we we can't as a fish and wildlife agency have enough money to go around for everything mm-hmm. with our PR dollars and our DJ dollars. is just simply not enough. Our mission is huge. Yeah. Um, and so. Um we have a, another funding opportunity out on the landscape, which is Recovering America's Wildlife Act. Mm-hmm. The thinking behind that is to fully fund state wildlife action plans. Okay. That's the goal. That's what that legislation was developed for. Um, and to do that, it's about $1.3 billion across yep. the whole country. Right. That's uh, our presentation uh, on that. Yeah, it's, it's a lot of money, cool. yeah. a lot of money to do that. but because we know fish and wildlife agencies have been wildly successful with um, doing management for game species with the mm-hmm. funding that they have. This is just a slightly different it's a shift over mm-hmm. here. We need funding to do the same thing for the species that may not have gotten as much attention in the past mm-hmm. as, as game species. Mm-hmm. So, um, Recovering America's Wildlife Act got really close to passage in the last Congress. Mm-hmm. It's already been reintroduced um, into the Senate and we are very hopeful that- well, They've been uh, trying for a
2: long time. Yeah, you know. been trying. So that, okay, that makes perfect sense. So basically you put together this plan and within the plan you have actionable items. Mm -hmm. And then you prioritize those items based on what's most important, depending on how much funding you can get, what you can actually knock out. In dream world, dream situation, which might be a possibility, we get full funding and we can act on everything in the Mm -hmm.
1: plan.
2: Well, okay, that makes perfect sense.
1: So now we need that pass all will be well. But mm-hmm. <laughs> um, these plans, you know, here's what we don't want to do with this plan is what well, we will breathe a collective sigh of relief when we turn it in, because it's been a labor of love. Mm-hmm. But it's not just going to be a binder on a shelf yeah. and be done. I mean, yeah. that is not what's intended yeah. to be. We Reference want it to absolutely be used, and we will be doing this again in 10 years i mean we look at these every 10 years because if we were still operating off the plan we wrote in 2005 it wouldn't be relevant anymore we have all kinds of new information so it's meant to be adaptive it's meant to be changed as we get new information it's also set up such as that if there's an emerging issue that we didn't think of like a disease we didn't know was out there like you know white nose syndrome hit us earlier We have a way to add species if there is an emerging issue that becomes a problem so they would be eligible for federal funding Hmm. um but it's it's very much a living plan um we're excited about seeing it get used and we are truly hoping especially if raw money uh, comes to pass that we can actually have our plan uh be more interactive on our website that's what we're we're shooting towards next uh we'd really like to be able to do that but that's, that's kind of phase two for us.
4: <laughs> well, as far as the funding goes, um, we, we've designed this thing so that if we are um, fortunate enough to receive a huge increase in our federal funding, then we have everything set up to get rolling immediately Quickly, yeah. and mm-hmm. get these actions on the ground. <laughs> on the other hand, if um, we do not see, receive a huge influx in federal funding, we have designed a plan that has focused our actions so that although we have 2,000 of them laid out, we know we, where we should spend our time mm-hmm. and our money and cool. our, our, our resources here in the state to get the biggest bang for our buck. So uh, we've we really set it up so that regardless of which way we go <laughs> on mm-hmm. the funding aspect, we're gonna be able to make a difference. It's just a matter of how much
1: how much can we roll we- out yeah. over the next years. It's a good years. plan.
2: You know, it makes yes. me think about, <clears throat> like somebody who wins the lottery, not that this is what that is, but somebody who wins the lottery and then they're broke. <clears throat> you know what I mean? Or you can win the lottery, and you can have a plan, and you can. But instead of having Ferraris in our garage and stuff like that, we're just going to have healthy amounts of hellbenders in our streams. Mm-hmm. And, yes, you know, and that's kind of going to be our our mm-hmm. wat- lottery winnings to show for there. Is going to be the the songbirds that Laura was talking about, and the insects and the mammals, and everything that's listed on that plan. Hopefully, doing much better than it is currently because we have the ability to. We had a plan in place and we we were able to act on it. That's best case scenario, right? Right. Mm-hmm. And, and For for us, uh, the way we operate, you, know, you have to look at finances
4: not as uh, just pure dollars coming mm-hmm. in as much as that's a direct correlation between the amount of money you have going in and the amount of effort we can put on the ground. Mm-hmm. So what I see with an increase in funding is just an increase in the effort that we can yeah, go true. out and do. It doesn't doesn't really impact my paycheck, it's the same no. way. It's not, mm-hmm. it's not anything more than this gives us the opportunity to get more stuff done, which is why we went into this field
2: to begin with. Yeah. More stuff done could impact somebody's paycheck because it might create a new job. Yeah, yeah well, and, and that's the, the biggest thing with Recovering America's Wildlife Act is
4: not only would that provide some sustainable jobs for third party out there that go in and actually do the implementation, mm-hmm. but by doing this work on the front end -hmm. And putting in 1.3 billion uh, nationally is a big number, but when you look at the savings by fixing these problems before they get so bad that these species have to be included on the federal endangered species list, Mm -hmm. there's actually a cost savings involved there. Yeah, no
2: doubt. So, like, I hadn't even thought I was thinking for us, but I mean, so third-party groups we work with, I'm thinking like stream restoration groups. There's one out of Madison County Copperhead Environmental that comes to mind, but those are kind of like the third-party partners that could potentially use something like this.
4: Uh, it, It really depends on the way that the the overall projects would be structured. But we currently, we work with a tremendous amount of nonprofits throughout the state. Uh, Kentucky Natural Lands Trust, mm-hmm. uh, you know the Nature Conservancy, yeah. all, all these folks do that mm-hmm. work. Now, as far as the, the for-profit companies um, mm-hmm. that do consulting work, sure, if we get a huge influx of money in, would we be uh, outsourcing a lot of the, the survey work that needs to be done or the habitat management work? Yes, quite oh, likely. Sense. And those would go through the normal Bid process with government, and we would select the best vendor to do that work. But it, it would really be a, a good way to to spur on a lot more habitat work on the ground in Kentucky, and that's something that everyone benefits from. Protect mm-hmm.
2: land, enhance land, make it better for the wildlife, mm-hmm. and not just land, water too. Yep, mm-hmm. yeah, that makes perfect sense. I'm thinking of Monty now, thinking of you, <laughs> Zach, with your crayfish. And... Yeah, there's there's plenty of crayfish in this plan. I mean, honestly. Mm-hmm. This Sometimes I shouldn't do the opinion stuff when we're talking about. But what I mean is, there really a more important water or land? I mean, everybody thinks about the land because we walk around on it; we're, it's what we operate on every day. But gosh, the Can't water. drink
0: land no. water is <laughs> <water's laughs> awfully important.
4: Uh, I I would say I'm not picking favorites here, but the work you do on the land it naturally impacts the, impacts
2: the water. The water that makes perfect. And sense. so
4: a lot of the the aquatic resources that we have that are impacted. Mm-hmm. Uh, the work that you do to fix those impacts don't occur in the water. Yeah, Th- They occur mm. in the uplands.
3: Yeah,
2: yeah. yeah I'm thinking of, Yep, yeah, that makes perfect sense. Siltation. Hard to catch erosion. fish on land, too. Yeah.
3: <laughs> I bet yeah. you could do it. It, 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 it.
2: Well, it could be both hard and easy to catch them on land. If they're just laying there, it's really easy. Uh, Essentially, like, I mean, if you're talking about how habitat work on land can improve a waterway, I mean, you got a good root system in place and a good... Like, I mean, whatever our, our, our grasslands or a forest or something like that, you're not going to have the sediment runoff and the <clears throat> erosion and issues like that that are created yeah. by just fields of dirt. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So, And that's one of the things we've looked at with this plan
4: is, uh, you know, we've identified quite obviously the, the Green River watershed, Licking River watershed, uh, Rock Castle, some of those as priority watersheds for aquatic fauna. Mm-hmm. And then the the next step is, okay, what do we need to do in these watersheds? Well, we need to actually work in the uplands a lot of times to curb siltation. Mm -hmm. Well, now the, the bigger question is, okay, the work that we're doing in the uplands, although we initially did it to impact in a positive light the mussels and fish that are in these streams, we're actually having to benefit to the songbirds and the small mammals and the herptofauna, the amphibians and reptiles that utilize those uplands because we've restored natural habitat here. Mm-hmm. So that, that's when I talked earlier about how we were really trying to focus in on what we could do and provide the biggest bang for our buck. That's the sort of decisions we tried to incorporate into this is to show, okay, if, if we do some work on this hundred acre spot right here, mm-hmm. what species would benefit from that? Well, it's not just terrestrial species. It can be terrestrial and aquatic. It's almost a twofer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do and those the, are the areas we should focus on.
2: That makes perfect sense. That's, that's just being efficient. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. What so as far as what I had written down about SWAP, I told you I came into it not knowing much. I knew that it was something that we worked on and that it was important mm-hmm. and that it was going to be on the website. So what I had written down is what is SWAP? I feel like I have a pretty good handle on that now. Um, why do we do SWAP? I feel like I have a pretty good handle on that. How do we do swap? When do we do swap? <laughs> Who does swap? And how and why is swap important? And there was one more, where do we do swap? I feel like that one's <laughs> explained. Yeah. It's within the state of Kentucky, right? Definitely. So, I mean, I feel like my questions are answered. Is there anything, Lee, that, that you had? I saw you taking notes, but I think well, you were thinking about future articles. Yeah, well, story. I mean, well, I'm, I'm sitting there thinking, you know, I need to do
0: a little blurb on the, in the outdoor news of the next magazine. Absolutely.
2: Yeah, Every 10 years.
0: And, but uh, Well, I have to say, the best part of SWAP, of course, is oh, the introduction to the I should say, be sure you read the it? first
1: part of chapter one. What is, yes.
0: What is it now? Oh, just uh, uh, Laura asked me to write up. Oh, so you wrote it. Yeah, yeah. That's why it's great.
1: You know? We that's why it's maybe. my favorite the only state wildlife action plan in the country that mentions bison and bourbon. Maybe. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> some <bison> and bourbon.
2: <laughs> Just some changes in kind of a quick history of the changes in landscape from pre-settlement to now. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Very good. Is there anything else that we need to get at? I mean, like I said, I came in to swap wanting to- I really enjoyed it too, by the way, it was get... fun. It was challenging, but it was fun as hell. I came into this podcast wanting to get these questions answered because I felt like that would give me an understanding. And right now I'm sitting here racking my brain like what? the questions, like the information, it's too broad for me to say, well, tell me with the 573 species. How many, 527 species. Um, You know, that's something I would just need to go look at for myself whenever Mm -hmm. it rolls out on August 15th, right?
1: We're gonna, yeah, it'll be available on August 15th on our website. And you know, it's, we appreciate the chance to come on and talk about it because I mean, I think it's really easy to glaze over in the first Mm -hmm. five seconds about talking about a government plan. It mm -hmm. might not be that exciting, but. Knowing why we do it and the work that's involved and mm. the fact that there are so many partners here and mm. that there's is a lot that can be done and it's it's important to have something in place, whether we have the funding we have now or whether we do look at getting substantial federal funding in the future. We've we've got a plan. It's it doesn't need to have and hazard. It needs to be very intentional even, and this does that.
0: Even these are non consumptive, I guess you could say, you know, non game. But you know, if you make good habitat for songbirds, you're gonna make good habitat for quail. You know, I mean <laughs> people who are there's going to be, you know, uh, ancillary effects. There's going to be, you know, additives, you know, yeah. so, sure. you know just by doing that for for yeah. things that people hunt and fish for. Mm-hmm. Right.
4: No, yeah. None of this work is done in a vacuum, vacuum. where we're, where we're wow. focused on a single species. It's mm-hmm. a suite of species that always benefit from natural habitat restoration. Mm-hmm. And for me, as as excited as I am to have this plan done because we have worked really hard <laughs> oh for three years now mm-hmm. to get this revised and to the shape that it's in. I'm even more excited to have it submitted so that we can actually put it into play, put it yeah. into practice. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, the the A in SWAP stands for action. That's what I yeah. want to do. I want to yeah. take, I don't want this to just be something that we do. Yeah, and then, then we, like we sitting ignore. on a shelf
0: plan. Yeah, yeah. No, no, I, I, w- want, I want
4: this and, and we're already working through <sighs> ways that, okay, where are we gonna hit the ground running with this thing and really continue to change the trajectory on some of these species. That's and cool. I,
0: mm-hmm. I'd like to say one thing, Ashley Reeves has put in a tremendous amount of work and she's in our division and she's yes. really
2: worked her butt off on this. She has. She,
0: she should be recognized for it. Very she's, much so.
2: She's crushed it. I've she has. I've heard good things too. I, I don't know exactly what she's done, but I've heard she other people She has done mention. the
1: layout, all yeah. the graphics layout. And and she's gonna help
2: make it easier to and, navigate. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: We, yeah. we we. We, she blew us away because I think anything we brought to her, as far as what we had in our mind, she was like, okay, and then took it even <laughs> further. Yeah. So we, we were just pleasantly blown away. She's, it she's amazing. for
4: Ashley, uh, this plan would likely be a collection of emails and field data <laughs> sheets and, you know, <laughs> it, turn it loose. And she, has, she has done a very good job of keeping us organized and really looking at how to make this something that anyone can pick up and utilize. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah.
2: That's what, and I'm excited to see how it rolls out on the website whenever it does roll out on the 15th. A second ago, Lori, you talked about, you know, talking about state government plans and not being (laughs) fun. And, you know, I'll be honest with you, having a podcast about a 1,600-page Word document wouldn't be very fun. No. But I will look at it more as in this is something who, if somebody's interested in conservation on their property or stay wild or wild or interested in wildlife, like there is something in here for them, you know Absolutely. what I mean? Absolutely, yeah. And I, th- I think it'd be good to reference because a lot of this stuff, I mean, out of these 527 species, I mean, <clears throat> a lot of them are, are probably on the landscape and people don't even know about them. Mm-hmm. Might see them here or there, not really know what they're seeing. And just having a better understanding of these helps in the long run. So yeah. I think that it's a, it's a plan that's not just actionable you know, for us, but it's actionable for individuals too, yep. to help improve their own properties. So I think it's very worthwhile to talk about. And I'm glad we did. If I'm missing anything, because like I said, I came in here very uneducated. Is What What, what else would I need to know? Is there anything? Is there,
1: I think you've done a I great job. I think you covered it. Probably, <laughs> yeah. Public comment just period
2: though, right?
0: Encourage people right. to go look at it. Yes,
1: Get on the website, Go look at it. It's free. So,
2: on the 15th. 15th through when? 15th through
1: the 15th. It'll be a 30-day comment period, August 15th through September
2: 15th. So if somebody is, you know... Just know that if opening se- day of dove season comes up, you can look at it or like <laughs> whatever. Because in my mind, that's how the calendar works now. Mm-hmm. It's not August fifteenth. It's not September fifteenth. It's we are three and a half weeks from dove season. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Three and a half weeks in a day from deer season. You know what I mean? So at this point in time, a lot of people's two minds. weeks. Whatever so. works. If you're, if you're up in the stand and you get bored
4: during a hot day. <laughs> You can open this thing up on your phone, I will. you can scroll through it. I will get bored. You,
0: you've got yeah, plenty got of got opportunity stuff, yeah. to- You hear a bird or it's like, mm-hmm. you know, you could, yeah. so many things you could,
2: look up. Yeah. Read
1: Lee's introduction and go to the profile pages. Okay. That's what I'm
2: hearing. <laughs> well, I am going to thumb through it. Because like I said... I, I totally agree. <laughs> I thumbed through the uh, 2013 one briefly and, and kind of looked at how it was laid out. So I'm looking to see what Ashley did with this one. But there was interesting information in that one alone. Yes. So I'm sure that this one's going to be great. And I appreciate you all coming on. You got anything else, Lee, that you wanted to hit on? No, just just read it. It's, it's
0: amazing and uh, it's, it can provide tremendous benefit for us down yep. the road. You know. And very... When do you get asked to, hey, you know, Mr. Farmer, could you help us?
2: Not Tim, though. Yeah, no, not me, you know. Farmer, Joe. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, not, not Tim. <laughs> well, t- Farmer will help us. He's been on here. Before. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it'd be more like how do you cook something in a Dutch oven? <laughs>
3: yeah.
0: But, you know, very rarely do public uh, the members of the public rather get to
3: um,
0: are, are asked to participate on something this important And and have a vital contribution as well, you know, not just
2: a passive thing, but this they could help. Very much. So, well, guys, I appreciate you coming on. I'm going to go ahead and hit the end button real quick. Cool. August 15th.
1: All right. Through September 15th. Through September 15th.
2: I'll be checking it out. All right. Thank Thank you. you. Mm -hmm. Thank you all.